Let's pretend that this isn't advice. And I'm Erin, and I'm not giving you advice. It's it's not advice. I can't help myself <laughs> give advice. I don't mean to. I don't want to. I want you to be able to live your life, but I know how to do it. I'm a huge know-it-all, and this is where I practice not giving advice to people. Except I totally give advice to them. I'm a lawyer turned professional certified coach, and I just happen to give the best advice. But this is a podcast, not a coaching session, so I obviously don't do that here, except I do. This is not advice with Erin Conlon, your know-it-all lawyer coach friend. This is not advice. On today's episode of This Is Not Advice, I welcome Kayla Powers. Kayla is a textile artist. I think that's what she calls herself, natural fibers artist. Um, Kayla is just like a delightful human being. And spending an hour with her talking about what it means to create things from the natural world, the natural world, as though like the world we live in isn't natural. Anyway, um, I just felt like it was so fun to spend time with her. I learned so much about creation and living in integrity, whatever that means to you and what it definitely means to her. Um, I also learned a lot about like allowing transformation to come through you and through your work. One thing that Kayla didn't really speak directly to, or maybe she did, was letting her life change. And being willing to change with what her vision is. Um, I think sometimes we forget that that's a possibility. Like we start down one path and then we think that that's where we have to stay. And what's beautiful about Kayla's work is that it's she is constantly changing. And the work that she creates is such that it's made to change. Um. So yeah, check Kayla out, check her workout, and I hope that you enjoy this episode. And if you're the kind of person who, uh, I don't know, is interested in changing what you're up to, I do have some open spots in my practice uh, starting in January. So I would love to talk with you about what you could create in your life. Kayla Powers, hi. Hey, Erin, how's it going? Oh, so good. Thank you for coming on my show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, always honored and uh, excited for an opportunity to talk about art. So, (laughs) Yeah, well, I don't know how much crossover our worlds have other than my sister is married to your brother. (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) for the audience, like how will you share who you are and what you do a little bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, I can sum it up very briefly by just saying that I'm a fiber artist. Um, I have been doing this work for about 10 years now. I sort of took kind of a squirrely path to get here. Um, I studied art history as an undergrad, and then um, I mostly like traveled and worked on different farms after that. And so um, that sort of led me to like making what I considered place-based art or um like vernacular craft, so work that is like born of the place that it is made. And so my work was natural dyes and weaving, and I would forage 
all the plants that I was working with from the location I was in um, to sort of uncover the seasonal local palette. Um, and then that has, that at one point was a small business that I started to make and sell naturally dyed hand-woven textiles. And, um, you know, I started to sort of want to communicate more through my work and like tell more stories and sort of um, challenge myself more. And so I am now in grad school and I'm studying fiber art in a two-year program at Cranbrook. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so that's a very simple version of what I know your work to be. Hmm. Um, how, first of all, I just like, how did you start? <laughs> like what, what started all of this? Yeah. Well, I mean, um, so many things, I think like fiber is a medium that we're all so familiar with because it's like our clothing, you know, from like the moment mm -hmm. we're born, we're like swaddled in blankets. And these are like very familiar and like foundational materials to the human experience. And so um, that has always really resonated with me. And then um, I credit my time working on different farms and gardens as another really kind of pivotal step for me in life, but also on this path as an artist, because um, learning about plants and learning about our relationship to the natural world and in the natural world um, just sort of seemed like the most important thing that I could spend my time on. Um, yeah, I guess that's how I got started. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Well, what makes it so important? Um, yeah, well, I let just, let's just get right into it. <laughs> I mean, uh, why not? We're not yeah. That's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like that, that's kind of how I think about it is like, we have this one, we have one chance, we have one go at this life. Mm -hmm. And like, what are the things that we find most interesting? You know, that's kind of like what I am aiming to do is just to spend it in a way that I find interesting and challenging and curious and fulfilling. And this is what has always, that this is the way that I've found to do that. This is one of the ways, you know, that could change shape at some point. Um, but th this is the way I currently know how to do that. Yeah. I, well, are you still making your own fabrics? I know you had a loom for a while and you were like making fabrics in a studio in your house. And I think you gave that up this summer. So is that true? Well, I, I'm definitely still weaving um, in my practice and in my life. So yeah, on a floor loom, like you mentioned, um, making fabric is a big part of that. Mm -hmm. um, I am no longer weaving in that studio in my house anymore um that's something I would love to talk about the reason why that oh I definitely happening. want to talk about it then. please <laughs> let's talk <laughs> cool yeah so um just to finish that this thought is just that yes I am still creating cloth you know with natural fibers and incorporating that into my work but I would say like we weaving fabric is not my main um like that's not the end goal anymore mm -hmm. um yeah, but as far as like why I'm no longer in my house, it was sort of like years of thinking and talking with my partner, uh, Grant, who you know, um, just about like what we collectively found to be most important in life. And the uh, great big house was just no longer it. Um, we owned a historic home or a home in a historic neighborhood in Detroit and loved it so much. It was a really beautiful space. 
but it just became like the main focus of our lives. You know, we were spending all of our time, all of our money, all of our energy, like keeping this house up. And so COVID came and we sort of had this like feeling that, um, you know, like we kind of needed to prioritize and spend our time and energies in a more meaningful way. And so we sold our giant house, bought a tiny camper and um, head out on the road for, for a few months um, and have now landed back in a smaller apartment, but still in Detroit. Where'd you go? We did a loop around the U.S. Um, we went down to Florida, across the South, and then um, up through New Mexico, Colorado, and then kind of back to Michigan. Um, what was your favorite place on this trip that you went to? Um, I mean, we both really loved New Mexico. That was a place I had never spent any time before that. Um, and it's just, yeah, really a special and, you know, beautiful and has like a very rich and interesting history um, mm-hmm. and like a tradition of craft and art there was very exciting to see. So yeah, I loved New Mexico. Do you think like, I wonder, you know, you mentioned this location specific way of creating art. Do you relate to yourself as like a person who will live in one place for a long time? Yeah, no. Um, Thanks for asking that. That's sort of something I've been working on recently is like how to, you know, continue engaging with the place that I'm at, but in a more like, um, universal or like more relatable way like which is just to say that I won't always be here forever and there are ways to sort of like be making um place-based art as I say like any anywhere you could do this anywhere um it's really just a matter of like where I happen to be at the moment and so part of our trip this summer you know driving around in the camper was uh to practice place-based making in all of these different places so like in New Mexico I was dying with the red earth that I found, you know, and cochineal, which I foraged um, off the cactus there. And so uh, just like working with the flora and fauna of that location to bring out those colors um, onto fiber is like really what that, what I mean by place-based art. So like, what is your long-term, do you have a long-term vision for what you want your life to look like in three years or five years or 10 years? Um, it's not so much a vision of what I want it to look like, but it's more like how I want to feel when I'm doing it. You know, I just always want to continue being inspired and excited about what I'm creating and who I'm around and, mm-hmm. you know, those sorts of things. Like at this moment, um, I just like wake up every morning so excited to get back in my studio. So um, that that's a really good feeling. I'd love to keep up some version of that for as long as I can. Tell me more about this, like waking up inspired thing. Like, <laughs> well, I don't know if a lot of people have had that experience. So if you were to explain it to a high school student, mm-hmm. how would you tell a high school kid like what, an inspired life feels like? Well, it would be hard to say that to a high schooler because I know myself in high school, (laughs) I was not inspired daily. You know, I was just trying to get through it. So what I would first tell them is like, it, it will get better. 
life will get better. Um, eventually you'll have more autonomy. I think that's a big part of it for me is just knowing that like my day is of my own creation. I get to choose when I do things and how I do things. Um, yeah, waking up and feeling inspired. I mean, for one thing, I sleep eight hours every night. I wake up in the morning and I read first thing. So I don't look at my phone, which feels really good. You know, that was a habit I'm, I had to work on. And, um, and then just like knowing what you're passionate about and continuing on that path. So even if it feels like small and obscure, like there's, there's a world for it and finding your way into it and then finding how you can contribute to it. Um, I, guess, I guess that's what it is for me. It's also like very physical, tangible things. Like if I'm making a quilt, like knowing that I'm going to be like finishing the binding feels really exciting. So sometimes that's what'll get me up out of bed each day. <laughs> Do you have every day planned ahead of time? Um, well, with school, it's been new, you know, there are some obligations we have, uh, different programming, but, uh, no, usually no. Um, I have like, I sort of feel like I move through these different phases of things that I'm working on. Um, and so no, it's definitely not day by day. It's more like week by week or even like seasonally really that I kind of like know what I'll be working towards. Yeah. Well, so much of your work is to my knowledge, foraging and Mm -hmm. pulling from the earth Mm -hmm. and you live in Michigan in the winter. So what do you, what do you get from the earth in the winter in Michigan? Like, what do you look for? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I think until quarantine happened and I really was forced to like slow down and look more closely. I don't know that I knew the winter time in Michigan to be like a bountiful season for foraging, but it definitely is. Um, So like last winter, I would just go on these, you know, long walks. I should say I have this one piece zip up bodysuit, snowsuit, and I can't recommend it enough. Like everyone get yourself (laughs) one. It was a total game changer for me in the winter. Like what we wore when we were kids and we would go sledding. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And it's like vintage. It's amazing. It's like iridescent blue. Anyways, just like get yourself something that you're comfortable being outside in. But the things that I was gathering were like um, mostly like bigger things like spruce cones, oak galls or pine cones, um, different clippings from trees like cedar, uh, you know, willow, whatever you can kind of, whatever you can get your hands on. Um, It's mostly things from trees. Of course, we don't have like flowers and things like that in the winter in Detroit. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's, there's plenty out there acorns, black walnuts. Sometimes I'd be like digging through the snow to get to it. I was using the snow to dye with. So in my dye process, I will like fill up a big pot with water typically, and then add the plant materials. But in the winter, I was able to just like scoop up the snow to dye with, which was another sort of like sweet way to engage with place. I love that. And what I hear in this is that like for you, and I don't know if this is exactly what you're saying and in, in how you're creating art. So correct me if I'm wrong, but what I see in it is that art is always about like making the world, like you taking the world and turning it into something else and anything is an opportunity. Um, how is it for you? Yeah, that's definitely one way to see it. Um, I have, 
set these like limits for myself. So I don't ever work with, I, I only work with natural fibers and natural materials. So like cotton and linen and silk and wool and things that come from animals and come from the earth. Um, those are my materials. And so I have this sort of like artificial boundary that I've set for myself. And same with the seasonally locally foraged plant materials. It just like gives me some kind of boundary because otherwise you can imagine it would be sort of difficult to like find, like limit your palette or your materials that you're working with. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's been one way, but yeah, as you say, it's just sort of making art feels like just like a way to, um, yeah, kind of filter or process the world and like reflect back to it, you know, who you are and what it means to be a human. Well, what do you want other people to see when they look at your pieces or to feel or like, what's the experience you want other people to have? Well, I'll answer that question, but I think most artists will tell you that well, once you make something and put it out there, you don't get any control or say. And I know. What, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you know, we can have, we can start with an intention though. And so, um, yeah, I guess I just want people to sort of like see themselves as a part of the natural world. I think so often we see ourselves as outside of it and that has been super detrimental to the environment and to our relationship to land and to animals. And so I think by like seeing ourselves as not just like, you know, a visitor to a forest, but like an integral part of that forest, that is, that's what I would like for people to see. Well, that's really cool. And I like that you're doing that in a city. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, a big reason for that is that like this city wasn't always here, you know, before there were mm -hmm. cars and buildings and such, there was just like prairie and the river. And um, yeah, so I, I like to think about that. And, and um, you know, what's unique in Detroit is that so much of the land is again, like I'm putting in air quotes, vacant. And so their the houses or buildings have gone away and there are these like newly, again, wild spaces. And I mean, out foraging in the city, I've come across coyotes and foxes and pheasants and eagles. And it's like wildlife, you know, like right there amongst, amongst the, the homes and the buildings. So um, yeah, that's something I want to show too, is like, here they are, here it is here. You know, we're all in, in this, you know, city here together. Yeah, I think when I first moved to Chicago, my friend, it was when I was uh, like a baby attorney and everyone going to going to lunch or getting your lunch was kind of a big deal. And my friend was like, I'm starving. It's 11 o'clock. And so she went to Subway and a coyote walked into Subway in the middle of downtown Chicago Whoa. at 11 o'clock in the morning. And it made like the national news. But I think it's very easy to forget that like civilization mm -hmm. is built on top of a, an entire ecosystem, totally. many, many ecosystems. Yeah. There, there's so many things about what you just said that are like, so like your friend saying, you know, like, Oh, like I have to go get lunch. Like that's another thing I think of too, is just like how incredibly disconnected we are from like, even just like taking care of ourselves 
you know, as these like living organisms and like feeding ourselves and what a, a thing that that is in the city, you know, which is like, yeah, you go into a building and you like exchange, you know, <laughs> exchange your money for your sandwich. And, and it's just like, it just takes us again. It just like takes us away from like the, the, um, you know, like essence of being alive, I think. And that coyote is just such a beautiful reminder of like, you're wild. <laughs> That, that coyote just wanted a six-inch subway sandwich. <laughs> He's like, I'll have the special. <laughs> well, for you, what is the essence of being alive? Oh, Aaron, if I knew, I would probably be able to. I mean, well, that's why we're here. That's why we're having sure, this conversation. Sure. Like, we have a whole time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I ask myself that all the time and that's like what I'm sort of trying to work out through making um through making art and so Mm -hmm. um yeah I mean I definitely don't have any concrete answers and I think that's part of the reason that like we can have conversations like this is because so many of us are still wondering and like um yeah I mean I know I know Um, you know, I know that it's more like being in the forest when the light is coming in is twinkly and it's like getting cold out, you know, and the leaves are kind of like, I know that's closer to it, but I still don't know. Totally. Yeah. I think sometimes it's like that, pre- like what you just described to me is a moment of presence, mm. you know, yeah. so the essence of aliveness is like presence and connection and um possibility yeah yeah and and energy totally (laughs) write that down I think I think you're on to (laughs) something well let's just take that as a starting point like for you how would you like how would you showcase presence in your art Well, one thing I've been working on lately is um, these pieces I'm calling seed quilts. And so I'm putting seeds into quilts. (laughs) That sounds so Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And the idea is just that, you know, eventually everything will will decompose. So like the quilts that I'm making are made of natural fibers and natural dyes. And so, you know, imagine like a hundred years from now, um, this piece will have completely decomposed and and actually much sooner than that silk will take about four months and you know cotton can take more like six to eight months but the um idea is that the seeds will then sprout from where the quilt was kind of staked down into the grass and just to show kind of the life cycle and um you know how temporary everything is um are you burying them i just uh staked it into my garden no way yeah, so I've been photographing it every day, kind of documenting this this one piece anyways. A couple of the others, I haven't decided how I'll treat that, like if if, if it would get buried or, or what. But um, yeah, there are seeds in the quilts. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> Thanks. I love that. And like, oh, I'm going to make sure to pay attention to what happens to that. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, what the idea also in part came from, like, as I was learning about quilts, that that's sort of like one connection I have 
in my family, you know, generations back is I have this great, great grandmother who was a quilter who lived in Tennessee and I have a quilt that she made and it's just like something very special to me. And I remember learning at one point that at times when a quilt would get really worn out, instead of like discarding it, people would use that as this like stuffing in the next quilt that they were making. And so it's just sort of like this cycle of, um, you know, caretaking and um you know providing for your family nurturing through these textiles i can't remember what it was that you said that got me there but <laughs> that's where i'm at well it doesn't really matter what i said that got you there i think it's really <laughs> interesting i think it's really interesting that like what i hear in that is that there's always an opportunity for what is to create something new mm-hmm and maybe if what we're kind of talking about is a juxtaposition of like consumer capitalist culture where we throw everything out and we don't take advantage of what we could create out of what we have. Yeah. And what you're pointing to is like, oh, a quilt could have embedded seeds so that something grows from it. Yeah. And what and you took that as an idea from a quilt that is already going to be turned into or has been created from something else from before. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Those are definitely things I'm thinking about a lot. Um, You know, just thinking about like my, maybe it was COVID too, that got me thinking about like death so much, but I just think about like, you know, our own mortality and the fact that like we are just made of the same things that make up everything else, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, it's all, yeah, it's all connected. I knew I was going to end up saying such a cliche thing, but it is true. And I do believe it. And um, yeah, yeah. And and about the quilts too, it's like, that wasn't that long ago that we were like, think that materials were so precious that we were like literally using them to then create the next one. And like you said, now we're just like pitching everything after we use it one time. So mm-hmm. we've, we've strayed so far so fast. What is your like personal policy on using stuff? Um, I mean, like I said, always using natural materials. So those things that are produced in a way that is ideally organic, but definitely sustainable um, and that will eventually like decompose without causing more harm. Um, Also, secondhand materials is, you know, a way to do that. Um, And then natural dyes also. So I don't know if you or your listeners would know this, but like when we work with synthetic dyes, that's just chemicals, which are super harmful to the waterways, but also really harmful to the people who work with them. So, um, you know, that's typically outsourced to like, here again, in quotes, is like developing countries. Um, And I just think that that's a really like nasty and pervasive, uh, you know, system. And so by working with natural dyes, I'm able to one, do it myself, do it more slowly, um, and to Mm -hmm. kind of highlight those issues that I'm interested in like in your day-to-day life I guess the question I have is kind of one of integrity do you Mm. find yourself going oh but it would be so much easier or cheaper or whatever for me to just pick up this thing from Target yeah for sure like let me just confess that I have ordered things before on Amazon (laughs) (laughs) well I don't expect you to be like 100% 100% making your stuff all of the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Um, for sure. But it definitely like informs a lot of my choices. And like, these are things that I'm just striving to live even more fully, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like I'm thinking about my outfit right now. I'm wearing like a secondhand shirt and a shirt my friends made out of organic cotton and like sustainable brand jean, whatever, you know, it, it it's definitely important to me. And it, it does inform my choices in life. But yeah, I'm realistic. Like if I'm going to get takeout from somewhere, you know, every now and again, like I'm not going to drive myself crazy because of the styrofoam. I think that one thing is like these big corporations always like to put the blame on the individual and be like, if you recycle or if you use your reusable straw, like environmental, you know, like everything will be fine. But obviously it's so much bigger than that. So I try and remind myself that if ever I'm like, yeah, you know, taking a bath at night and feeling stressed about using water or whatever. <laughs> Kayla, you can't take baths because <laughs> don't take that too- away from me, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's like the work that I do as a coach. A lot of times we talk about individual responsibility, and we also mm-hmm. are human beings living in systems, multiple, mm-hmm. multiple systems, and. Sometimes these systems are unjust and unfair and, um, for lack of a better term, complete and utter bullshit. Mm-hmm. And so, like, where is the line between what you are responsible for as a human being or as an artist and what you are responsible for or not responsible for because of the system? And I think that's kind of the tension that you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. That's something I think about all the time. I mean, another sort of like layer of that responsibility I find is like being a person who's very public on the internet. Like I share a lot of things on Instagram. And so it's really important to me that I'm not sharing something, um, you know, because someone could see it and want to then recreate it. And then I would just be sort of like contributing to a cycle that I'm not interested in contributing to. So I think we do have a responsibility. yeah, I, I guess that's what I'll say. I think we all have a responsibility to like try hard and be good to our communities and to the land and to ourselves, but also to just like recognize that we're one single person. Yeah. Have you had your work stolen? My work? Oh, you yeah, mean like, like if- Has somebody taken your ideas and co-opted them or mass marketed them or done any of those kinds of things? No, nothing like that. Um, I definitely think I can like see a little bit of like influence seeping in here and there, you know, to mm-hmm. people, but but never in a in a bad way like that. No. So like you're an influencer in a way that you're happy with. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that's one way to think of it. Yeah, I'm like okay, everyone, you know, yeah, just like a little bit of influence. <laughs> well, have you thought about like what you are what? Like, what is the, you want to have an impact on people as an artist, I'm assuming. Like, you want Mm -hmm. your work to resonate with people. Mm -hmm. And you're also like, don't steal my, don't steal my shit. Or I would be. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. But I think if I was really like, don't steal my shit, then I would not put it on the internet. Like, I would recognize that that's just what happens when even if people aren't intentionally like taking someone else's work, they are just exposed to it, you know, seeing pictures of it. And then it seeps into our unconscious, unconscious. 
mind and, you know, comes out in a different way. So I certainly feel aware that that's possible. And if I, you know, I do have ideas and things that I don't share online um, because I want to protect them for a while. Yeah. Do What are your like um, internet boundaries? Do you have rules for that? Yeah. I mean, uh, mostly just like I, I shared earlier about not engaging first thing in the morning. Um, I have a time limit on Instagram for myself because I can get a little bit of a slippery slope. Um, yeah, those are really it for me. I'm also, I've decided I'm not going to like engage in any of the new apps. So like the I, Instagram is where I will draw the line. I'm not interested in TikTok or anything like that. Um, I guess those are my boundaries. Uh, I've also recently given myself a little bit of a break. I used to try and always like reply to everyone who wrote to me. Um, uh, and that has just, that's just not a sustainable thing to do. So, yeah, it, um, on the one hand, like having that kind of relationship with your audience is really, really important. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, after a while, it becomes insincere totally, and performative or, um, and it could also lead to resentfulness if I were if like, I'm an introvert, so I'm just really projecting all of my shit onto you, Kayla. <laughs> well, you're speaking, yeah, that that is a very true thing that you said. Um, yeah, it's definitely possible. One thing that's been really helpful in that is I have a lot of friends who are also like um, artists and creative people and small business owners who are putting their work on the internet as well. And so we can kind of like have a laugh when, you know, we get some really outrageous question, you know, um, or comment or whatever it is uh, sent our way. So that's one way I can cope with that. <laughs> yeah. The, I don't normally comment on things like this, but that the one that starts with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's funny too. I think a lot of people like their heads and hearts are in the right place. Like they'll say to me um, when I'm foraging something like, oh, you should be saving that for the birds. And it's like, thank you so much for thinking of the birds, but like, I promise you, I'm not taking so many, but you know, that's an example of like when it's important for me to recognize that if I'm blasting that out to the, you know, number of followers and then everyone else is going to do that, you know, that's something I really need to be conscious of. Yeah. Like ever, start, soon there's no more pine cones, no yeah. more pine trees grow <laughs> because everyone's learning how to make dye from pine cones all because exactly. of you, Kayla. There hasn't been a new pine tree since 2019 <laughs> because Kayla Power has taught everyone how to make dye. <laughs> you see, do you see the responsibility I live with? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a big responsibility. I understand mm -hmm. it. The future of pine trees is in my hands. Oh my God. All the wood floors that aren't going to happen. That's just the beginning of it. That's the tip of the iceberg, really. Oh, do you ever get um, like artists block or creatively blocked? Um, yes, but it's been a long time since that happened. Um, and yeah, it, it's been a long time. I do have sort of like some go-to moves if that does happen, which uh, I don't know, maybe this is controversial, especially considering what I was just talking about. But I, I always recommend just like looking at what someone else, you know, find someone else that you admire who's doing something and 
And even if it's just like your warm up for the day and you start mm -hmm. by sort of like create, like doing something very similar to that, just to kind of get you warmed back up and kind of like in the motion of it. I think that, um, I don't know, that's just like one move that I have that is really helpful. Well, how do you know when you're blocked or you just like, what's the difference between a block and you just need a day of rest? Oh yeah. I mean, definitely start with a day of rest. <laughs> 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 Try that first. And if that doesn't work, then yeah, then I would say, you know, and it can be so much more than a day too. It can be like weeks or months. And sometimes you don't even really realize that you were like creatively blocked until you come out of it. You know, you can just be mm. sort of or I can have just experienced like frustration around trying to get an idea out and, and recognize that, oh yeah, that was like a form of, of creative block. Um, yeah. Yeah. Resting is always helpful. Or have, have you heard of the book, The Artist's Way? I, yeah. I was going to say the, the reading every morning sounds a little bit like morning pages. Yeah. Like, are you also doing morning pages? Um, I don't, I don't do that. No. Um, but that book was helpful to me in sort of like understanding the importance of a routine and just sort of like getting it out, even if it's not like something you're going to look back on or, or care much mm -hmm. about. But yeah, the practice of like, of just doing something for the sake of doing it, I think is an important one. Yeah, I think. So what I'm hearing is that you do have some baked in discipline to how you go about your days. Like you don't have a plan every day, but you have mm -hmm. some discipline. Is that accurate? Yeah, definitely. Um, yes. And that's something I'm like very consciously, like always trying to cultivate because it doesn't like come naturally to me. So um, yeah, like having those little routines, little things that you can return to that, you know, are good for you, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. What are like, so not looking at your phone, mm -hmm. reading every morning, what are some other components for you that set you up for success each day? Mm. Um, I mean, the main one, well, one of the main ones is uh, walking my dog. Every morning we go for a walk together and it's just like a being outside in the fresh air. Like I don't bring my phone. I don't have my headphones in or anything. I just walk with her and, um, yeah, I just think it's great. I It's like such a powerful, um, you know, being, it's just like, a you know, walking is healthy. Being with an animal is healthy. And, and yeah, that, that's been a really nice routine for us. How old's your, how old's your dog? She's six. Oh, so she's yeah. a good dog. <laughs> she's a really good dog. Yeah. She's grown and good. Unlike my chaos agent. <laughs> how old is yours? nine months. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's like peak baby time. Oh yeah. She, she's fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, enjoy it. I definitely like look back on when Maple, my dog was like two years old and I think she was so crazy. And I just like, kept waiting for her to get older. And now that she's older, I'm kind of like, Oh, she, she was like so spunky back then. <laughs> so anyways, just enjoy it while you got it. <laughs> Yesterday, we went up to the northern suburbs in Chicago. They have like acreage where it's a dog, it's a dog park, but it's acreage and they have ponds and they had like mud pits, like the kind of mud pits where like it would be wrestling, it, mud mm -hmm. wrestling. Mm -hmm. And Zelda was like, I'm in it. And she was <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, so good. Oh my God. 
<laughs> I know. Sometimes you just have to embrace it, right? And be like, okay, go for it. And I'll just bathe you when we get home. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that that's kind of the beauty of like, when you can embrace anything, just anything, there can be a lot of fun that can come out of it. Like you can watch a puppy have, I don't know, the time of her life just going, I'm free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. Um, it just made me think about like one thing that I'm struggling to embrace is the fact that I commute now. So it's like a 35 minute drive for me to get mm -hmm. to school. And that's like the time where I'm like really have to like channel all of my energy to be like, okay, be calm. Like, you know, it's a rut. It's typically rush hour. People drive really crazy. And, you know, 35 minutes in the car is not something I like to do. Really? What do you hate about commuting so much? Um, it just is like a very stressful environment. Like people, like, you know, like fast and loud. And, um, I, it's not that I hate it. It's just that it like, it requires a lot of like, uh, yeah, mental strength, I guess. <laughs> I have a lot of clients who suffered a lot when COVID happened because they lost their commute and the commute was their time. It was time mm -hmm. without kids. It was time where they got to listen to podcasts. It was mm -hmm. time where they could think like nobody would be bothering them, even if yeah. they were on the, the train or whatever, or they were walking. Um, and I, th I wonder if it's like, a, because you hadn't had to do it for so long, it, it feels like a chore now. I'm sure that's part of it. Um, even just hearing about like, if being on a train certainly sounds like a more peaceful way. I, and I don't do like train, but being the one operating the vehicle, you don't get to really zone out and like, you know, read or even like a podcast can sometimes be too distracting. Um, I don't know. I don't mean to complain about it. It's really oh, not no, bad. It's, it's fine. Just... <laughs> Do you not like driving? Are you not a driver? Um, no, I am. I have this amazing car that I love being in. And like, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, um, I don't know. I'll think about it on I, my drive back. And get back to I'm you. just <laughs> now fascinated by. <laughs> well, you're not the only person in the world who hates commuting. It's just sure. an interesting, like, it's just an interesting thing where it's like, because of this one time, because it's this one time of day, it's worse or mm -hmm. whatever it is. Yeah. But, you know, even as you're saying it, I recognize that like, it's required for the balance, you know, like there has mm -hmm. to be something, some adversity or like, you can't just like <laughs> enjoy the peaceful quiet, you know, like it has to, ha you have to like in your day have something that breaks it up in a, Yeah. I don't know if it would be fun if I just like woke up and like peacefully walked to my studio. And <laughs> now that I say it though, that sounds pretty good. So, <laughs> but I think the balance is important. I mean, have you like, are you the kind of person who has like found a struggle along the way pretty much all the time? Um. I don't think so. No. Um, I guess I feel pretty, you know, privileged to not have many struggles in my life. Um, mm -hmm. you know, like outwardly, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, nothing is easy. 
I mean, everything's easy, but nothing is easy. Like, I don't mm-hmm. expect it to have all been peaches and cream. Mm-hmm. Is there anything in particular, like, that you have found difficult about your path? Yeah. I mean, certainly, like, having your livelihood and your, like, passion be one and the same is challenging because I think that, you know, mon- trying to monetize something that you are like putting your heart into can be really tricky. Um, Mm. And that's not to say that it's not also difficult to like work a nine to five, you know, that I understand there are challenges in in all of these different realms, but yeah, that's, that's one way that I find to be challenged, Um, you know, and feeling like, yeah, I'm putting my heart into my work and that if that doesn't get seen or, you know, understood, that can be a little bit frustrating. Um, yeah. yeah. Did, it seems like you've been pretty well received, at least from what I've seen. Um, have you felt like you haven't been received well a lot or? Um, no, I guess. Yeah, I guess I do feel like that's been, I, I feel seen and I feel heard. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just like trying to keep pushing myself and to continue growing and to like make work that interests me. So I think, you know, like so many other people, I can be like my toughest critic sometimes about what I'm up to. Um, Yeah. That was my next question. It's like, how nice are you to yourself, Kayla? (laughs) Well, I mean, I say my toughest critic, but I'm also very nice to myself. I'm very forgiving. Like I don't, I don't, you know, uh, if I do have sort of like a stressful moment, I can tend to like ruminate on it for a while and sort of like give myself a hard time about saying something or not saying something. But I think that's like a normal, healthy amount. It doesn't like drive me crazy. I just like journal it out and then I'm good to go. <laughs> Are you an avid writer? Yeah, I have been journaling since I was like 11 years old and I have like a full, you know, shelves of, of journals. Um, and I, yeah, I've pretty much always got one on the go. Do you like keep ideas and stuff in there? Or is it just so that like the morning pages so that you get it out and you can move forward? Yeah, uh, both, everything. I write down, yeah, ideas, like, um, yep, just like dreams, processing stuff. Like, yeah, everything goes in there. Man, I bet you that there's some really good gold in there. How do you know where to find it? <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't. And like I can share I over quarantine, one of my projects was to like put the date of my journals, like start to finish, you know, when it started, when it ended. And so I can sort of like remember where I was at that moment in time and can sometimes track it back down. But also it's okay if it's, you know, lost in there, like the the fact that it existed once is enough. And if I can't remember it, maybe it's not that important. <laughs> yeah, totally get it. Yeah. Um, well, we're coming up on time and I have a mm. few questions that I like to ask everybody. Oh, great. Um, what is some advice that like has worked for other people, but just never worked for you? Hmm. Advice that has worked for other people that hasn't worked for me. God, I I really don't know what that would be. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, can I like 
divert this and tell you some like good advice that I'm, I've been given just and yes, maybe, sure. that, maybe definitely maybe, you can definitely give <laughs> good advice. Maybe that will help me um, think of what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. I mean, one piece of advice is just to like, keep going, like keep going, mm-hmm. especially when I'm talking about art is just like, keep pushing it farther and farther and farther until you're like so sick of it. You like can't even look at it anymore. Um, that's, that's one bit of advice. Um, God, Erin, you really got me stumped here. <laughs> what, what does success mean for you? Success means fewer technical glitches on my end because I will know how to use a computer. <laughs> for real, uh, that is one thing that will feel like being an adult. Um, yeah, I mean, just to like, uh, success, I think would look like being, you know, like being inspired, being healthy, um, having a partner who I care about and am connected with and, um, you know, having relationships with family and friends, um, that I value, um, and having a yacht. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Scott Duff said his success for him looks like, a a Bon Appetit magazine spread. (laughs) <laughs> for a dinner party wow that is like I don't even know what I would do with that I feel like this is too good to be true and like, I was like can I come and he was like yes <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that's amazing that's so specific <laughs> yeah I mean is there anything like that where you just like know that there's a moment like that when you're like oh this is I've been waiting for this Yeah, totally. Um, Like last summer, I made this like big outdoor installation, this like public art installation. And it was COVID times, but it was outdoors. And everyone like came to this opening night and was like gathered around. And uh, that was one way one moment I knew I had found success because I was very proud and happy. And my community was there to support me. So that that felt really good. So more of those. Yeah, more of that. And the Bon Appetit spreads. (laughs) (laughs) So you're coming to Scott Duff's dinner party too? Yeah, that would be great. He would, he'll totally have you. Cool. (laughs) Give him my email address. I will. Kayla, thank you so much for doing this podcast. It was such a, first of all, it was a pleasure to see you. It's been so long. I know. And it was a pleasure to talk about your art. Like, I've always been super curious about it and how you got into it. And I think it's beautiful. And um, I can't wait to share it with everybody who listens. Cool. All Thank 50 you. people. Hell yeah. It's like mostly our families. I love that. Thank <laughs> you so much for the opportunity, Erin. I'm super excited um, to follow along your journey as well. And um, I'm always grateful to get to talk about art. So thank, oh, you. thank you, Kayla. Yeah. This is Not Advice is brought to you by me, Erin Conlin. If you are interested in learning more about my coaching practice or how we might be able to work together, please visit erinconlin.com. This podcast would not have happened without production support from Cedar Cathedral Narrative Studio.